Hey, welcome everyone. I'm Christian from The Liberators, and this is another episode of The Liberators Network podcast. I'm standing in my personal office at the moment. It's a beautiful winter day outside. It's, um, it's quite cold and sunny. It has been overcast for the past week, so it's nice to have some sun. And there's a big tree in front of my house with a lot of birds in it. Uh, so you may catch some of them chirping in the background. I think it's a nice auditory background to this episode. Um, well, in any case, this episode of the podcast features another one of our more popular blog posts. And in this episode, we're addressing a myth that is quite common under people that work with Scrum or that read about Scrum. And it's the idea that you cannot do projects with the Scrum framework. The idea that somehow projects and the Scrum framework are opposed to each other. And that's not true. And in this episode, we're going to tell you and explain why that's the case. And we'll also give you a more constructive perspective to allow you to actually do both things because we think that you can, uh, but it's all about having the right conversations. So we'll give you some guidance on what those conversations can look like. And hopefully that will help you to make progress within your own organization, because in all honesty, a lot of organizations use projects after all. We think this is a pretty cool episode and we hope you think the same. So let us know afterwards after you listen to it. And if you like the episode, make sure to rate it, give it a thumbs up or like it on whatever platform you're listening on. And please share it with friends. That's also very nice. And um, just as a way to support us, we have a Patreon page where you can donate a very small amount of money on a monthly basis. It's a great way for Barry and me to find more time to record podcasts, to make videos, to write blog posts. Um, so if you like what we do, Please consider becoming a patron. We're, uh, we're really trying to build a community of engaged patrons. We're, we're doing things with the patrons as well, like Troika consulting sessions. Uh, we're going to do virtual calls with, uh, with patrons. So these are all very good reasons to consider becoming one. If you want to support us through other means, you can also get something from our web shop or join one of our public events. Those are also fine ways to support us in our work. Cool, let's move on to the episode. I hope you enjoy it, and here goes. People who love Scrum usually don't feel much love for projects. It's a bit like the proverbial red cloth to a bull. And this sentiment is often reflected in the strong statements that we frequently hear in our work with passionate Scrum teams. Like, Scrum is about products, not projects. Or, projects have no place in Scrum, period. And yet, the reality is that many organizations work with projects. Now, what they exactly mean with that word varies hugely, but it is usually considered a long-running group of activities towards achieving some goal. We found that if your aim is to create as much resistance as possible, starting a crusade against everything called project is a good way to do so. In this edition of our ongoing series of Scrum Mythbusters, we address a myth that seems to be about words. Products, projects, who cares? But words have meaning, and they exist within a wider context. The purpose of the Scrum framework is much broader and much deeper than merely changing the words we use to talk about work. And if you find yourself charging at everything that sounds like projects, you may be missing the bigger picture. What is a project exactly? Before diving into this myth, it's helpful to have a working definition of what we mean by project exactly. 
In our work, we noticed that people tend to define projects as long-running activities with five characteristics. The first one is that the scope of what needs to be done is fixed, and so is the budget to make that happen. A third characteristic is that the date when everything needs to be delivered is also fixed. Another characteristic is that people feel that projects only deliver something at the very end, when they are completed. And the final characteristics is that they can last forever. Now, interestingly enough, if you go to the Project Management Institute website, you see there that they define a project as a temporary endeavor undertaken to create a unique product, service, or result. If you go to Wikipedia, it defines it as any undertaking carried out individually or collaboratively and possibly involving research or design that is carefully planned to achieve a particular aim. Neither of these definitions fixes scope, budget, and deadline. Neither of them specifies that something is only delivered at the end, or that they last forever. So we seem to be talking about different things. Now formal definitions aside, even the most ardent project manager will acknowledge that fixing budget, scope, and delivery date for a project is a naively optimistic approach to the complexity it represents. As it turns out, both PRINCE2 and the Project Management Institute start from the assumption that projects represent complex work, and that they are unproductible and risky at their very core. So it seems that many Agilists have taken a very extreme definition of project in their head, uh, much more extreme than what is normally meant by it, and that makes it an easy straw man to beat. Project and Project Management So although projects themselves are not antithetical or opposed to the Scrum framework, the way that their uncertainty and risks are management often is. Plan-based approaches like PRINCE2 and what the Project Management Institute teaches rely more on upfront planning and governance to control risk. The Scrum framework works from the principle that no amount of upfront planning can control risk, as well as releasing a product in small and valuable increments can. The Scrum framework uses each release as a feedback loop to adjust course. Where the Scrum framework relies more on empiricism, which means learning from experience, plan-based approaches like PRINCE2 rely more on rationalism, which means learning by reasoning, two fundamentally different approaches to managing risk. Busting the myth. For some good myth-busting, we always like to start with the source. One look at the Scrum Guide already offers a helpful perspective to think about how projects can be understood within the Scrum Framework. It writes, Each sprint may be considered a project with no more than a one-month horizon. Like projects, sprints are used to accomplish something. Other than that quote, the Scrum Guide specifically talks about products rather than projects. So there is a product owner and a product backlog, not a project owner and a project backlog. There are several good reasons for this choice of words. The first is that products are inherently more tangible than projects. And that connects them more strongly to the idea that you're delivering something of value to users. And the second thing, the second reason is that products have a life cycle. No one knows when a product is going to reach maturity or when it will be shut down. It can be a very short life cycle or a very long one. 
Either way, a lot of adjustments will be necessary along the way. And this requires that we combine long-term with short-term thinking. If we make shortcuts now, we'll have to pay for them later, but we also have to deliver something soon. Now we don't mean to say that projects don't deliver value to users or encourage shortcuts. We merely point out that the word products evokes a more productive narrative as they are necessarily connected to users, to delivering something of value and to continuous change. Tips for making projects work with Scrum. Now in everything we talked about before, it's clear that projects do not inherently conflict with the Scrum framework. So suppose you find yourself in an organization that works with projects. One strategy is to go on a crusade and banish projects from the lexicon. A much more productive strategy, however, is to start with what you've got and to make it work in a way that supports empiricism. So here's what we like to do. The first thing you can do is make the scope of the project transparent on the product backlog and change it as new insights emerge, which inevitably will happen. Second, consider what would be necessary to guarantee a valuable and high quality outcome of the project and embed that in your definition of done. The third is that the budget of the project is what determines how much work from the product backlog can be completed. When it runs out and when there is value in implementing more, the budget can be extended as necessary. It's also helpful to make sure that every sprint results in a done increment that is delivered to stakeholders as a milestone and achieves an important business objective. Feedback from that milestone is then used to adapt the product backlog as needed. There, you also have to make sure that there is a product owner, a scrum master and a development team and that they all have full mandate over all decisions concerning the project or the part of the project they're working on. You can also create a roadmap for your project by putting the product backlog on its side. This tells you in what order things are likely to happen, at least based on what you know now. If there is a project management office or steering committee, which often happens in larger organizations, work with them to make the above possible. As results start flowing, the need for extensive planning will decrease as people see that the process is working and that value is being delivered. Project managers can be a great asset as part of Scrum teams, provided they respect the product owner and the Scrum master in their roles. They can help coordinate with stakeholders, deal with organizational politics and remove impediments. So for example, we've often worked with development teams where a project manager was just a member of the development team. Now these things that we talked about, the conversations that you're going to have while doing these things will be far more productive than fighting against the use of the word project or by claiming that everyone in the organization needs to adopt a product mindset instead of a project mindset, whatever that means. You'll notice that if you start with what you've got and that you work empiricism in, all those things will start to change on their own. It will not be your fight. It will be something that you can do together as the evidence becomes clear that this is a better way to do things. Let's move to some closing thoughts. In the past, both Barry and I made the mistake to start correcting people on how to talk about work. Whenever someone would talk about project, we would correct it to a product. With a pedantic tone, we would explain that we're building a product here, not doing a project. And there's quite clearly an implied you silly behind that sentence. 
But is this really the proverbial hill you want to die on? It seems to us that there are far more important conversations to be had, like how can we make sure our stakeholders are involved from the very start of the project? How can we use each sprint to deliver a tangible outcome, the increment, that we can then inspect together with stakeholders to get feedback? How can we start removing the impediments that are making this all hard for us to do? Now, these are the conversations that really matter and that are likely to implicitly drive change towards a more product-oriented approach. Rather than meeting people where you want them to be and obviously not finding them there, you'll meet them where they currently are. Becoming word police is rarely a good way to engage people in changing their behavior and their understanding of how things work. Instead, it's far more likely that you only create resistance by being pedantic about what people are used to. By doing so, you close conversations instead of opening them. And ultimately, that's what inspecting and adapting is all about. And ultimately, that's an important skill for Scrum Masters to have and to practice because it's not easy. Good luck in your journey and let us know how it goes. So that was another episode of the Liberators Network podcast. Thank you so much for listening. It's really nice to know that you're taking time to learn something about Scrum Framework and hopefully get some help on challenges that you're facing. Now, if you have a challenge for us, please let us know. We'd like to do something called Troika Consulting where we use one of the challenges from our listeners and Barry and I talk about it. Maybe you've already heard an episode where we do this. If you have something, please send us an email. You can make it as anonymous as you want. Um, we'll also always let you hear the result before we publish it. So you don't have to worry about us publishing something that's awkward or uncomfortable for you. If you like listening to this episode, please remember to give it a thumbs up or rate it on whatever platform you're listening on. Um, and we hope you all. We wish you all the best with your work with Scrum. And we hope to see you again for a next episode. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Bye.